0: Hey everybody, it's Allie, and welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, March 9th, 2014. So Victoria kisses Stitch right in the middle of the athletic club gym where anyone could see. She's completely thrown everything to the wind. I I really am starting to believe that Victoria, for the first time, is allowing herself to come to the understanding that she may be able to be happy with someone else, that maybe Billy isn't the only option, the only road toward her happiness. Now, of course, a kiss is just a kiss, but it still feels like it's it's a signal more of a change within Victoria, So she plants a big one on Stitch. Stitch is dumbfounded. He's immediately trying to her, 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 play it off like it's no big deal whatsoever. A stitch is like a wounded beefcake. <laughs> Assuming that no woman could ever want him. Stitch's opinion of himself is so low for whatever it is that he did. I still don't know. But it's almost like he plays it off immediately like, yeah, you know, uh, I'll, I'll kiss you and that'll send you back to your husband. Hey, no big deal. I mean, eh, 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 you know, <laughs> it's kind of the tonality of Stitch and his whole reaction to this thing. Victoria even said something to him like, uh, do you think that I only kissed you just because you were like the nearest man in proximity? <laughs> and <clears throat> I think... That was her way of also signaling that it wasn't necessarily just about wanting to kiss some guy as revenge. I think that Victoria sees a little something down in Stitch, (laughs) or would like to see a little something down in Stitch. (laughs) And she's allowing herself to think about it for the first time, probably ever. I mean, Billy has gone off and Billy has had his escapades. I mean, if I think about it, yeah, Billy did run off to Myanmar when things were getting tough with his and Victoria's relationship. He slept with Chelsea, whether it was a trick or not. I mean, Billy's the kind of guy that he slept with a lot of women. Victoria's not like that. So now here we are. I think she's opening herself up up for the first time to, you know, like, I don't know. Well, if if Billy can do it, then maybe so can I. You know, if Billy can kiss another woman, then I can certainly kiss another man. And as this is going on at the athletic club, Billy is meeting Kelly in the park, She, which he thought was like the safest place to be. Oh, we don't want to meet at the coffee house where everybody is. Let's just go to the park instead where everybody is. But they're kind of meeting under the cover of night. And it's Kelly's request that he comes to see her. She is insisting. She... Obviously, once Billy in her life, she misses their friendship, misses their connection, maybe misses the hope that there could be some kind of brighter future for herself, but Billy is struggling. To hold on to his marriage. He screwed up. His wife just found out he had sex with another woman. He doesn't really want to be around Kelly for fear of losing Victoria, but I do think there is also something in Billy that also misses their friendship. However, even if billy and kelly do have this experience unfortunate experience of losing a child in common billy knows he cannot pursue this and kelly i think wants to but also is willing to sacrifice that desire to not ruin another marriage to not watch another marriage fall to the wayside at the loss of a chi- uh, loss of a child so billy Ends up walking away from her, walking away from this conversation. It was so sad. I mean, I can't remember what she said. She said something to him like, I miss you or I miss our friendship or something. And he didn't respond. He, I I wish I could remember the line, but he just totally turned around and walked away. And I don't think it was cold of him. I I think it's establishing we're done with this. It has to be done. We've said several times before that this has to be done. So I'm going to turn around. I'm going to walk away. But he leaves her there all alone, just really looking sad and really looking pathetic. As soon as Billy gets home, Victoria is not very far behind him. She walks in the door closes it behind her, and just blurts out, I just kissed another man. (laughs) Okay, I mean, I guess that's one way of going about it. That's one way of revealing that information to Victoria. (laughs) I don't know if it was that she wanted to hurt him. I don't know if she didn't want to carry it on her conscience. It could have been a combination of both, but she just blurts it out, and they end up having an argument. Although, I have to say, it seems like Billy was not as upset. I I almost think in that moment, Billy thought, well maybe we can just be even now. Okay, Victoria just kissed some random guy. She did it just kind of out of revenge. All right, maybe we can both say we did something wrong and be done with it and move on. But the difference is Victoria is sensing that there is a deeper connection between Billy and Kelly. That it's not just a a one night stand. That they shared something real together and that's what's eating at her soul. She confronts Billy and accuses him of still being in love with Kelly, he straight up denies it, um, which I just don't know if he's being entire. I don't know if he's being honest about it with himself. I don't know if Billy loves Kelly, but he certainly did feel some kind of connection with her. To say that it was just sex is not entirely honest. So that's how he's trying to present it, though. Victoria knows there's a little bit more to it, and there's this moment where she's just so impassioned. She says, you know, I love you. Of course I love you. It it, it sounded, you know, what she didn't say was that I love you or I wouldn't have forgiven you all of these many, many times. It's clear that I love you. The love that I have for you is not in question. I'm not the one that betrayed you. But she says, you know, I I love you, and they kiss, and it leads to a very dark, um, shadowy, lovemaking scene that I thought was really kind of nice and unexpected. Billy and Victoria have always been sweet and quirky, and now we're digging deep into the grit of their marriage and that lovemaking scene, scene, scene seemed so representative it was very just shadowy and, and just dark dark and and I don't know if I want to say rough but it was a little more forceful um, a little more desperate maybe the, the actual lovemaking it was different I think it was different than anything we've really seen out of this couple but I did appreciate the dark element you know it's not that we don't love each other it's not that we don't Uh, That we aren't attracted to one another. It's that a a betrayal has happened uh, that's caused a crack in the foundation of our relationship. So they have this lovemaking scene. They're lying there afterwards. And I think... If I remember correctly, Billy was sleeping, post-sex sleep, and Victoria's wide-eyed. I mean, it's dark in the room, and you could just see the whites of her eyes. She is thinking. And maybe Billy had his eyes to open, too. I'm not sure. I'm sure that they're both thinking about everything that just happened. But my question was, in that moment, were they thinking of each other, or were they thinking of other people? I mean... That's certainly possible. It's, there's, there's something going on here that's really reading deep beneath the surface. Um, the next day... <laughs> The reason why I had in my head that Billy just kind of conked out is because the next day, I swear, Billy thinks everything is all honky-dory since they had sex. Like, everything is cool. We just had sex. Let's fix our marriage. Back to normal life. And that's not at all what's going to happen. I think that a dam has broke for Victoria. I think she's finding herself intrigued by Stitch, or by the idea of Stitch, or the idea that Billy isn't the only option, and vice versa. I think Stitch is thinking about Victoria. Again, I, I really think Stitch has such a low, low opinion of himself. Uh, obviously, Kelly's down on him. His wife has left him and made him feel like a real Hunkum jerk bag, <laughs> and now here's Victoria, maybe seeing something good in him, and I think that has intrigued him as well. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be something they'll be pursued. I was really, uh, very happy to see a very powerful scene between Jack and Victoria a little bit later. Jack comes to visit her and I think Victoria is maybe wanting someone to tell her to go back to Billy. If she goes to talk to her mom, if she goes to talk to Victor, if she goes to talk to Nick, they're going to tell her to leave his ass. They've probably been telling her to do that for years and years. But I think in Jack, she wanted to be told to go back to Billy and... (laughs) Jack really didn't do that. Um, he, he kind of was sided with Victoria. He said, you know, he knows his brother screwed up and that he probably doesn't deserve Victoria. But at the same time, Jack knows that Billy is better with Victoria than he has ever been without her. Um, And I think Victoria is his anchor. Billy is, again, that perpetual screw-up. And the years where he's been most stable is where he's been with Victoria. So I I thought that was a great scene. Uh, Jack not really being able to tell her what she wanted to hear. Interesting. So... (laughs) A little bit later in the week, Victoria takes Billy to his doctor's appointment uh, follow up on the many, many wounds that he's had. He's been in a car wreck. He's been hit by a chandelier, gone into shock, broken ribs. (laughs) So he's back uh, just as a follow-up doctor's appointment. And again, Victoria sees Stitch in the hallway and they sneak away for a little moment together. This is their first moment post-kiss. And Victoria is so apologetic. She's like, I'm so sorry. You know, I I feel really dumb about it. And Stitch kind of plays it off too, like, yeah, you know, it's cool. You guys should work things out. You know, no big deal here. Um, and Victoria and Stitch both kind of agree. Let's just not talk about it. Uh, and B- Billy off in the distance sees them talking together. And he totally guesses that Stitch was the one, was the one that Victoria kissed. And so he confronts uh, Victoria about it. And of course, they argue. And Billy's really upset. It seems like before knowing that it was Stitch, he was a little more able to process it. But now knowing who it was, and that it was not just some random stranger is what really, really stung him. Oh no, my wife has actually kissed someone who's maybe possibly like competition for me. So after the doctor's appointment, Billy confronts Stitch in the hall. He yells out like across the little medical area, like in front of everyone. I can't remember what he said. It was basically like, hey, Stitch, keep your sexy hands off my rich wife. (laughs) I mean, think about it. It's been... uh, Victoria's forgiven him and forgiven him and forgiven him. And he's always just known that he had her heart. And so I don't think he ever really thought that he had any kind of competition before. And now it's a very different story. Very different story. So, I don't know. We're going to have to see how this pans out with their relationship. You know, another scene that I was really, really interested in and watched really closely was... The scene where Kelly goes to visit Jack. What is she doing? What is she up to? Kelly goes to Jack's office, and, I mean, they had one interaction with one another. It was a very nervous interaction, and then everybody found out that she had the affair with Billy, and Jack was kind of like, you know, everybody was kind of like, she's basically a whore. I, I mean, she got the big, you know, egg plastered onto her chest, and so she goes to Jack to kind of... Plead her case. Um, like she said to him, you know, I'm not a bad person. In fact, I'm a good person who made a bad choice. And today's my son's birthday, and I'm trying really hard to hold it together. And she pours her whole heart out to Jack and tells him, you know, the reason I'm telling you this is because I just saw something in your eyes. I felt like you, um, I can't remember, I think she said, like, I. Felt like you understood uh, on some some level, or if someone like you, Jack Abbott, could forgive someone like me, a lowly peon, then maybe everything will be okay. I I just don't. I really want to trust her, but I don't know if I trust her because I thought, well, is she looking for redemption in Jack or? Is she looking for a way to get closer to Billy through his brother? And I think it's very possible that it could be the, the latter. Again, I want to trust her, but should I? Is the question. She reveals to Jack that she quit the foundation. She quit the Delia project and everything having to do with that so that she wouldn't make it awkward for Billy. And then she quit her job altogether at the foundation, which seemed a little bit unnecessary to me. Yeah, I don't think you needed to do that. But then... And she, in fact, goes to Jack to say, like, I'm telling you this so that you can kind of be the harbinger for the rest of the family. Like, tell everybody else that Kelly's off the Delia Project, so she's not a threat to your family. But then Kelly calls Billy on his cell phone to tell him that she quit the foundation. Victoria sees the call coming through, doesn't pick it up like Billy's upstairs doing something. Victoria picks up her husband's phone, who has now insisted that he's not seeing Kelly, insisted that he's not in love with her, having an additional affair with her. Victoria sees the call come through to Kelly, doesn't answer it, but then with a little bit of hesitation decides to listen to the voicemail where Kelly proceeds to say, hey, I quit the foundation. Um, But by the way, I really appreciated the other night. Thank you so much for meeting with me. You've given me a little bit of hope for the future. Well, Victoria's furious. What does that mean? Well, Billy did not tell her that he met with Kelly, so there's another lie. Mm. You know, I got a really good voicemail from Connor this week who helped kind of put my brain into a different position. It's easy to blame Billy, but he made the point that, you know, by always forgiving him, Victoria has contributed to this problem. It's like she has put out she's put out the message that it's always okay. Whatever Billy does, he will always be forgiven. And he said that last week. That's words out of his mouth. And now she is at her final straw with it. She's not not going to just forgive and forget. It's going to end up pushing him right into Kelly's arms. And my question again for Kelly is, so are you trying to do the right thing and stay away from Billy so that he can have his family and get his life back on track? Or are you trying to get close to him again? Because why would you need to call him and see him and follow up? He said it was over at the park. Why are you continuing to pursue him? Why are you finding new ins to his life if you're truly interested in his his well-being and getting him back together with his wife? So she has an ulterior motive, whatever it may be. And I also got an email this last week from Robin who had... totally jogged my mind and and reminded me that maybe Kelly is being shifty and indecisive and emotional and impulsive because she's pregnant. Neil is really devastated that his relationship with Leslie did not work out. And I feel for him, but I feel for Leslie too. I was very annoyed this week that it seems like, and I guess it's natural, but Neil's kids, Devon, and especially Lily, are really ready to pounce on Leslie. Like, uh, Lily tells Devon they're having lunch and she's just saying, like, I have no love loss, no sympathy for Leslie at all. She's like, out of my universe. Kick her out. She dogged my dad. But that really, really is not even the case. And I don't know why Leslie's being, or I'm sorry, I don't know why Lily's being so super negative. Like, Devon asks um, Lily, like, do we know how Leslie's doing at all? And Lily's like, I don't care how Leslie's doing. Who cares about Leslie? Uh, Is it possible that Leslie has a side here. I mean, that she has an argument that Neil could possibly be the one that's wrong. I don't know. Throughout all of the arguments and back and forth between Leslie and Neil, I connected with Leslie and her side of the argument. And I'm not saying Neil's wrong. I and mean, I guess that's the thing. Nobody's really wrong. It's just a clash of ideals, I suppose. So I just don't blame Leslie for... Um, She had to tell Tyler this week, who's her only family, that she decided not to marry, go through with the marriage with Neil. And he's really taking it to heart. I think his sister is his heart. It's his foundation. They've been very, very connected since everything in their childhood. And there's a part of Tyler that thinks, well, if Leslie's not the marrying kind, then maybe I'm not either. Maybe I'm not on the right path. I mean, his relationship with Abby has only been going on for a couple of months. They struggle, struggle, struggle. I mean, did they end up buying the house together or not? I don't know. I'm sure they're living together, but it's a little soon to be freaking yourself out about marriage. I don't know. Maybe that's just who he is. Maybe that's his personality, but he has been very open about it with Abby, which I appreciate. Uh, He's just not feeling sure about his ability to be in a relationship. So, Abby and Tyler are having dinner at the athletic club where Lily works, and they're kind of a little bit arguing back and forth, just she's trying to convince him that, you know, it's, we have a fine relationship, everything's fine, don't freak out, babe. Uh, And Lily comes up and starts arguing with Tyler about Leslie, saying like, your sister led my dad on... Um, okay, even if you feel like that, you don't need to jump on Tyler. It has nothing to do with Tyler. Don't go around town talking trash about Leslie behind her back. If you have something to say to Leslie, Lily, tell Le- tell Leslie! <laughs> I just don't like, I don't like that. I don't like that talking behind people's back. And I don't like jumping on Tyler about it. And I kind of was happy to see uh, Abby chime in because uh, Leslie, or gosh, all these L's. Lily said something to Leslie a lot, or uh, Lily said something about Leslie to Tyler. Like, you know, you're you basically, you led my dad on just to, your sister led my dad on. <laughs> just to get rid of him later. And Abby chimed in and said something like, oh, you mean kind of like how you did with Tyler? Ooh, girl, I thought that was good. I was happy to hear it. And it kind of is true. Lily did sort of enjoy Tyler's interest in her. And she sort of used it and took it and made Kane jealous with it a little bit. And then when it was all said and done, she was done. So it's not that much different. <laughs> Can't believe I was on Abby's side for that one. <laughs> um by the way, later in the week Abby had a scene with Stitch. She runs into him again and she's kind of prodding him at the co- it was at the coffee house like poking him, saying, "Oh, hey, you know, how's it going with you? My, You know, you want me to tell my mom that you said hello? Because she loves the idea of that relationship. And I do too. And I'm so excited to tell you guys that Eileen Davidson is coming back. Yay! I don't think it's going to be a full time thing. I kind of get the impression that she's going to do Days of Alives and Young and the Restless at the same time, maybe a little bit here and there. So that is so wonderful. I mean, she's so in demand for both shows. How wonderful would it be to be Eileen Davidson right now? Like, she is the soap, the, like the soap queen right now. Because even though I don't watch Days, I always hear that she's phenomenal over there. And you know, I love her on my YRs. So <laughs> I'm excited that she's going to be coming back. I would love to see her and Stitch together. I mean, I'd rather see Ashley and Stitch together than anybody else. That's my pair. (laughs) I really, really hope that happens. It was cute. Um, well, okay. In other winter's news, I'm backing up here. Everybody is worried about Neil. Everybody's kind of realizing that this could be a trigger for him. He's a former alcoholic. This could be a bad sitch. Uh, so everybody's checking in on him. He's trying to hold it together. I don't think he's necessarily on the verge of drinking again. But, you know, I guess if you're an alcoholic, you're kind of always on the verge. But um, he ends up having a heart to heart with Hillary. Hillary knows he's a recovering alcoholic. She put that alcohol in his drink that one time. She tried to push him over the edge. And now here she is trying to pull him back from it. Uh, She's Encouraging him to talk about his problems before he falls back into old habits. And it was all very, very friendly. He, in return, encourages her to get involved with Devon. She's like, hey, you know, maybe you should get involved with my son. Except uh, Devon's all involved with Esmeralda. All she cares about is money, the model. And there was a little bit of an interaction between Esmeralda and Hillary this week where Esmeralda kind of flippantly mentioned that she's going to take Devon for all he's worth. Like, not only is she interested in maybe getting a couple gifts from him, she's interested in sealing the deal. She wants to get a ring on that finger, maybe have a billion dollar heir. She's got her sights on her man and that's it. And and I don't know how Devon doesn't see that. I think that the implication is that Hillary is going to come in and save him again. How many times can Hillary save Devon from people who are trying to take advantage of him for his money? Devon is not a, I don't think he's a dummy. Can't you save yourself? While Nick and Dylan were off fighting the Ian Ward battle, Avery is with Faith and they have a, a, like, in the the realm of daytime feuds, you've got Jill and Catherine, you've got Nikki and Sharon, you got Avery and Faith. (laughs) Faith hates Avery. (laughs) And this week, Avery's kind of stuck with the kid, and she's really nice to her, and makes kind of an inroad, and Faith gives her a little bit of a bone, throws her a bone with a smile. I mean, I guess now that Avery's not involved with With her dad, she's fine. I mean, Faith probably doesn't want... Avery involved with Dylan, either. I don't know what changed in this little girl's mind, but apparently they're getting along better now, which was, it was nice of order to bring that back full circle. Uh, Avery ended up bringing a, a Faith over to Sharon's house just to drop her off at her mom's. And there was, again, another full circle moment where the two women realized that maybe they're gonna be in each other's lives, so they might as well be friends. And I enjoyed that. I thought it was kind of refreshing. Um, unless Avery's going to somehow be involved in brand Sharon down with her big old lie. Because again, Sharon and Nick are t- t- totally connecting. I mean, every time we turn around, Nick is being sweet to her. She's being supportive to him. She's doing so much better. They have this look in their eyes, like they want to rip each other's clothes off. And I saw from the previews of next week. Well, actually, I think this week's show ended with a big passionate kiss, and the previews for next week's show a, a passionate sex. <laughs> We're gonna or, or possible sex. They look like they made it to the bedroom and started peeling off the clothes, which I love because I do think that. Sharon Sharon and Nick had some very, very classic lovemaking scenes. I think they are good together. I like seeing them getting it on. (laughs) It's just this pesky test. That's the paternity test. The lie is the only thing that's standing in their way. Uh, Sharon indicated earlier in the week that she just wishes that test would go away. I think she said that to Nick. She was like, let's just pretend that test didn't happen. You know, we should just, Summer's your daughter. She's Nikki's granddaughter. Let's just pretend that the test didn't happen. And Nick is saying, I can't just pretend. I mean, she's not my daughter. She's Jack's daughter. What are you talking about, Sharon? And I just, I need to have a sit down talk with Sharon, because this could so easily be resolved, (laughs) like, and I don't even know why I want this, I feel bad that I, like, I don't want Sharon to get caught, I don't, I don't know why, but I, she's just been caught for so many other things, can we just let this one slide, Sharon switching that paternity test never should have happened, ever, ever, I wish Weiner would not have written that in. But since it did, let's just slip this one under the rug. Here's what we do. Okay, Sharon, come sit down. I'll have a talk with you. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> I'm going to write you an anonymous letter. It's And it's going to say, uh, I'm gonna. in fact, let's doctor it up so it looks like it came from the hospital. I mean, Sharon, you're a computer genius, right? You're able to hack into the account and switch the paternity re- results. So let's create a fake document from the hospital that says, we have discovered an inconsistency with paternity test taken on this date. Uh, we recommend that you come in for another paternity test or something. Just like it's an anonymous letter. Get them to go back in, take the test, let the truth be revealed, and let Sharon not be burned at the stake for it. Noah and Courtney are totally back together, and I do think that they make a cute couple, but is anyone else finding it impossible to buy Courtney as a cop? It just doesn't click with me. I'm seeing her, I'm thinking, I'm imagining her as a cop, and it's just, it's not registering. i just I'm like, is this the same girl that showed up at Noah's apartment dressed as Cleopatra? It's it just now she's a cop. My brain is having a hard time switching over, and it kind of seems like Noah is having trouble believing it too. His sweet. Little model, recently high school graduated girlfriend, carries a gun. (laughs) She's lethal. She has weapons training, for crying out loud. And while I'm sure that that might be a little hot, I wonder if it's a challenge for Noah. It's a little bit of a challenge for me. (laughs) He's got a lot going on, Noah, that boy. I want to see more of him. Um, we did get to see him show some of his chutzpah this week. He uh, He's buried in work at Newman Enterprises. Kyle's now gone. I'm sure that Noah's taking on a, a big load of work in order to impress his grandfather and to create a career for himself. Everyone told him not to do it, but he did it anyway. Nick has told him many times, don't walk down my path. I've been here. I thought that I wanted this corporate career because I thought it was part of my birthright, but it's not going to work out. Eventually, you will come to the same conclusion that I did. And Nick walks up to Noah at the athletic club trying to have lunch. He's covered in papers, taking phone calls left and right, and Nick tells him, just heed my warning, you know, working with Victor Newman is, it's like working with a pit viper. I mean, Victor says everything he's doing is always about the family, which to me is sounding just so mob-like. When did Victor become a mob boss? That's just the idea I'm getting now. It's, It's all about the family. You gotta protect the family. It's just, I don't get it. That's not ever the vibe that I got from Victor. I I always got the protect the family vibe, but it's gone to such a severe extreme that I almost can't believe it. Uh, But Nick tells Noah, look the fact is let's you know this whole bonaventure scandal is going on I, you know the the, the question is uh, especially from last week you know jack has apparently alerted the uh, the feds about bonaventure selling illegal drugs in fact the the well not illegal drugs but like non fda approved drugs so i guess they're illegal to, uh, if, he, they're making these drugs selling them online from foreign countries it's part of the energy pills that Summer took and that ended up having her hospitalized. So there's an investigation against Victor to see if he had anything to do with it, which I'm sure he doesn't. I cannot see Victor knowingly doing that just to make a buck. He doesn't need any more money. He's already got vultures wanting to take him, uh, pick him to pieces at any moment. I can't see him uh, it, knowingly going through with that I do think it's a it's something that happened on his watch which is in, you know unfortunate for him but I think it, it's it's Bonaventure whoever the, headed that company it was a acquisition of Chancellor uh, so whoever was heading that was who was involved with it I don't think it was Victor but aside from that Nick tells Noah look the fact is, your grandfather knew that Adam killed Delia and kept it from the rest of the family. So keep that under your hat and realize who you're dealing with. He kept that a secret and said nothing. So that's something that rang uh, in Noah's head. As soon as he's finished with that conversation with Nick, he goes to Victor and he asks him what's up with the Bonaventure deal. But more importantly, ask him, you know, why did you what about the deal with Adam? why did you do that? Are you sorry that you did that? And I loved that Noah said, you know, I have a question for you. And you could tell that he was really heavy hearted. You know, this is not only his boss, not only a job, this is his grandfather. This is someone he's looked up to his entire life. And he says, if you had to do the whole Adam situation over again, would you do it the same? And Victor will never admit a single thing wrong that he's ever done, ever. if, If he says anything different, it's just lip service. He says yes, I do it exactly the same because I did it for my family, for my family, for my family. And it's almost like reverberating around in Noah's head. He heard Nick say that. He doesn't need to follow that same path. And I got to give Noah respect for just looking at Victor and saying, you know, you've said what I, you know, that's it. You know, you basically did not pass my test. He quits and he walks out the door. And I think that saddened Victor very much, but for crying out loud, someone else, probably of lesser morals, will fill Noah's shoes in a heartbeat. Ian Ward may be in jail, but he has left a piece of himself in Dylan's mind. Just as Dylan was confronting Ian right before he got arrested... He was, it seemed like, ready to strangle the life out of his biological father. And is, I think maybe as a last-ditch effort, Ian shouts out, you know, don't hurt me. If you do, you'll never learn the secret. You'll never learn the truth. Something to that effect. And that is something that's been rolling around in Dylan's noggin, wondering, What is he talking about? You know, I mean, I would not rule out that Ian just said that to try to get Dylan to let him go free. I mean, Ian Ian is a master manipulator. He would say anything in order to get what he wanted. So I'm not sure why Dylan is giving it so much credence, but he is. And he's talking this out with Avery saying, what could it be? You know, could it be that I have another sibling? Could I have another brother? Which I think that's probably exactly what it is. Who, I think it's Stitch. I think it's going to turn out maybe that maybe, uh, maybe Stitch is also Ian's son. And Dylan and Stitch are brothers. I mean, why not? <laughs> I think that's that's why our way of bringing somebody else onto the scene or bringing someone else into Dylan's biological family. I think that the uh, point is to build up uh, the story of Dylan and and the people around him. So <sighs> Nikki is breathing a sigh of relief for now that Ian is in jail. Victor. Had to find out second hand from like the news reports that all of this went down. I mean, Ian went to jail for extorting Nikki Newman. Victor's finding out about it from the news and from the press calling, and now not only that, but he's having to cover up, make phone calls to try to keep this out of the press. It's a big story, it's a big deal. I'm sorry, but I have said for weeks and weeks and weeks and all along that it was wrong for Nikki not to tell Victor. And they did, he confronted her, uh, and they did have a talk about it. And, you know, they both, again, lip service, say, you know, we've got to be honest with each other you no know, matter what. It just it cr- creates problems in the relationship and problems with trust between us. Yeah, that's a major problem between you. And Nikki... And married Victor again on the condition that it was no more lies. Now, here she is not being honest with him. Now, I'm not saying that Victor's any better, but I am holding Nikki to a little bit higher of a standard. I think she should have confided in her husband about what was going on. Now, I know Victor Newman has a he has a tendency to get all Victor Newman on the situation, but if you don't trust your husband and believe that he is going to help you, ultimately, that he's there to help you, then why are you married to him? <sighs> It is a, it's a, it's, I don't know, it's a pickle. So Nikki is happy that Ian Ward is in jail. And Summer is walking around feeling like total crap about herself. Like, wow, my life is in complete shambles. My mother is in a coma. My modeling career is over. I overdosed on drugs, and then I got involved with a cult, (laughs) which my grandmother had to save me from. And throughout different points in the week, uh, Jack and Nick and even Victor are coddling Summer for her bad decision making. And I'm kind of tired of everyone walking on eggshells for Summer. Am I wrong? I'm wrong, right? Like, it's me being mean or something? Because I just feel like, just like Finn, Summer's a poor decision maker, and... Everybody just rushes to her to be like, oh, no, it's okay that you took drugs and overdosed. Oh, no, it's okay that you followed a strange, creepy old man to his hotel room. Maybe if someone was a little more firm with her. Oh, no, it's okay that you bullied uh, Jamie and he ended up trying to commit suicide. It's okay. I just feel like they needed to be tougher with her all along. And that's what's created the person that she is today. Phyllis was tough. She was a tough broad, and it makes me wonder if Summer is even really Phyllis's kid. Is it possible that Phyllis is not her biological mother? I I just, ugh, I don't, I am hard to connecting with Summer. I don't know. She's just a whiny, she's whiny to me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sure there's lots of Summer fans, but there was this scene this week where, Summer's talking to Nikki, and Nikki is also trying to coddle her and making her uh, feel better about the situation, and uh, Nikki is convinced that Summer needs to feel her feelings about what happened with Ian and to act out her anger. Don't just bottle it up. You need to act it out, and so there's this scene (laughs) where Nikki's, like, forcing Summer to, like, say what she really feels out loud. And at first, Summer's just like, you can't treat me like that. And then Nikki's like, no, say it like you mean it. And she's like, you can't treat me like that. And Nikki's like, no, you have to say it like you mean it. And Summer just says, you can't treat me like that. You wanted to take advantage of me. And she goes on of just spilling out her feelings about the whole situation. And, uh, okay, it was derpy (laughs) on a couple of different levels, but I have to know, and please feel free to be honest with me here, Um, so was anyone else having a hard time not making the Michael Mooney parallel during that? I mean, we haven't talked about it in a little while, but Michael Mooney, whether it's true or not was, it, it, it's out there that he tried to sexually assault her or, I don't even know, they called it, I saw an article this week where they called it sexual assault. It used to be sexual harassment. I don't know if it's sexual, I guess if you touch, it's sexual assault. I'm not entirely sure how that works, but, so there's that allegation out there that Michael Mooney was inappropriate with her, touched her breast or something of the like, and now here the actress is saying out loud to the camera, you can't treat me like that. You tried to take advantage of me. And I just wonder if there's some behind-the-scenes stuff with that, like, or if that's their way of helping prop up the actress, because in the wake of that whole Michael Mooney scandal, like, he was not the only one that was crucified. Like, the actress, um, Hunter something or other. I can't think of it. But like she did get a lot of heat from Michael Mooney fans. She was treated definitely like she was lying by a certain, you know, faction of of the groups, whether she was or not. I don't know. I do not know what happened. I've said that before a million times. But um, I just wonder if maybe that was YNR's way of kind of pushing the actress out front a little bit, allowing her to address her critics. I just, I, I don't know, Did, were you guys thinking that at all when you were watching it, or was that just me? Maybe I'd, it's all still stuck in my mind or something, but I thought that was interesting. I just thought it was, again, so derpy the way Summer's calling out this, uh, acting out like this therapeutic, like it was therapy, saying out loud, you, t- you can't treat me like that, and Nikki is just watching her, like, with her hands clasped and tears in her eyes and her head's moving back and forth, and as soon as Summer gets finished, Nikki just like collapses in tears. It was just schmaltzy. <laughs> Nikki's going on saying, "Oh, I wish I could have been like you at your age." Really? Really? Wish could have been like Summer? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> so, anyway, moving on from that, I'm glad that's done. It felt like weird, but Ian is in jail, and... Leslie is his attorney. Kind of shocked, actually. Um, she's partners with Avery, and Avery's dating Dylan. And they're—I mean—they're I mean, they're part of the same firm. Avery explained later in the week that, like, we don't question who you know what other clients the other one takes. So Leslie's free to take Ian as a client. I'm just kind of surprised that she would. She's not going to be on anybody's happy list. Like, she got out of the marriage with Neil, and now she's representing Ian Ward. Like, this is not like. You think Kelly's the town pariah right now? I think Leslie is definitely on the outside. Um, so Ian is in jail and he's locked up and or he's like being held for questioning. And finally, this week, now that Victor's found out what was really going on, he goes to the jail and he confronts Ian. And finally, finally, we get that Ian versus Victor feud, confrontation blow up that we've been waiting for. I mean, I've been waiting for this since before the actor even before he even came on to the show. I just loved it. I thought like that's so cool. I I loved Victor saying something to Ian like you're 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 a maggot under my shoe. You're just a maggot under my shoe. And <laughs> Ian's just he's very like, "Well, Victor, I would have expected you to be a little more" mature. I can't remember what he said, but it's just it's Victor's brute force versus Ian's snake like uh, manipulation. <laughs> I thought it was good and I want more of it. <laughs> Gosh, I just wish there could have been way more. Well, Victor Um, showed up at the police station to give Paul an envelope. Uh, There was a question as to whether or not they were even going to be able to hold Ian. Like, they just have circumstantial evidence. This guy might uh, get off. He might leave. And Leslie is, in fact, working on making sure that he's ready. He can leave now. He's like two steps ready from being out the door when as Victor comes, he delivers this package to Paul. Paul takes it into his office and reveals that it was actually an audio recording. I really, if you listen to last week's vlog, vlog, I thought that's what was going on. It's just Nikki was being so explicit. Like you want me to have how many million? You know, she's talking to Ian in the office and she's saying like, what is this money buying me again? She seemed so confused and I knew that wasn't Nikki. So I had a feeling that there was an audio recording, uh, which is evidence that's going to put him away for a long time. I'm so I'm shocked. I'm shocked that he allowed himself to be recorded. How is it that this man could be so slick to run a cult, a giant cult, to get away with it, change his name, and to allow himself to be caught on tape blackmailing her, extorting her? That didn't even seem consistent with the slick character that we're supposed to believe he is. So... Anyway, evidence, I guess he's going to jail, and I hate seeing this wrapped up. Am I the only one that wanted more? I I, I, <laughs> I feel terrible because I find myself wishing that Ian would get off on a technicality. <laughs> <laughs> or something, just so that he could come back. I think that would be awesome. He's a good villain, and I don't... Why does Mayaner do this? Like, sometimes they focus on things that I'm just ready to be over with. I mean, they will drag something out for three months that is so obviously sucky, and then they'll wrap something up that's really good and really has potential in uh, three weeks. Disappointed. Really disappointed that that's over. So, anyway... In the hall, outside of the police station, was actually where Victor found out that there was going to be a full federal investigation into Bonaventure. Jack had been there, too. Um, He's Nikki's friend, and... He was there, I think, uh, trying to catch a load. I mean, well, not only sneaky's friend, but Summer's his daughter. So he's there trying to catch an eyeful of this Ian Ward uh, out in the hall. As Victor gets this call that he's being investigated by the Feds, and he knows it's Jack. He knows Jack is the one that um, that ratted him out. I'm, I again, it's another instance where it's like, okay, the whole Bonaventure thing—that's going to happen. Um, we're going to probably see Victor investigated. I don't know how far it's going to go. I just, mm, I don't know. It's another instance where YNR is like, yeah, that whole thing Bonaventure, we're going to kind of bring that up, but then we're going to drop it for three months and then we're going to bring it back up out of nowhere. So it's like I hadn't heard the name or thought of the name Bonaventure in I don't even know how long. And now all of a sudden, here we are again. In true Victor Vorm, he goes into blaming mode, not only is it Jack's fault, but he's at the athletic club later, and he sits down with Kane, actually, surprisingly, and starts to ask Kane if it was his fault. Was he a plant? You know, Victor is very paranoid. Is You know, Kane was the one that wanted to acquire Bonaventure, and um, he wanted to do it because they were doing cancer research, and also apparently selling drugs in, from foreign countries over the internet. <laughs> They're a good company, but they're also criminals. So, um, Victor thinks maybe Kane was involved in that. Kane is like, no, that ha- I had nothing to do with that. Uh, and so Victor ends up offering Kane a job. Hey, you know, if you're not, you know, maybe um, if you're not uh, going to be betraying me, maybe you can actually help me. At that point, he didn't know it, but a new spot is opening up in Newman Enterprises. Uh, I, I, you know,. At first, Kane turned it down, and I was a little disappointed because I thought I sort of liked seeing Kane and Victor. Like, that's two characters that don't usually come together. That could be something different and interesting. Who knows what it could bring up. Um, But then I kind of thought you could see it in Kane's face that he was interested, that he might want to take the job. And now that Noah has quit, maybe Kane is going to be the one to fill that space. Um, He tells Lily and Lily immediately is like, oh, well, he offered you a job. Clearly you wouldn't want that. Uh, Yeah, clearly. Why would you not want to take a challenging job at Newman Enterprises when you could just go around offering desserts to athletic club patrons that Lily offends all day, every day? Chloe is in jail. She is in deep trouble. As much empathy as we all have for her, she did commit a crime. She stole a baby, transported it, Internationally, and had absolutely no intention of bringing the baby back. So she did do something wrong. Um, she's getting ready for a hearing, and Michael, hey, the, is she, apparently Chloe had to go through a psych evaluation, and Michael is really, really hoping, as her attorney, that she can get like get off and not have to just do hard jail time. Like she's not a criminal; she's got a mental health issue, and that is very, very true. Um, I got a really good voicemail again from Silvana this week, really honing in on Chloe's perspective. She is someone who needs help. She has done something really bad, but it's also good that she's not denying it, that she's not trying to justify her actions, that she's actually saying, I did something wrong, and maybe I deserve to be punished for it. And my question for you guys is this week, what is the appropriate punishment for Chloe, if any? Um, In fact, I'm going to put a poll up on my website at yrchat.com. I want to understand where you guys are at on this, because I just don't know. What is the appropriate punishment for Chloe? Prison? Does she belong in a psych ward? Does she, maybe is she should she be released into custody of her loved ones? Should she be let go altogether? You tell me. What is it that we should do with Chloe? Because I don't want to brush it under the rug. It was a serious thing. But at the same time, I I don't know if prison is the right option. I think, especially in this country, I mean, we're so quick to just toss people into prison who actually do have mental health problems or drug problems, which I think you know maybe falls under that, or physical problems. So, I don't know if that's the place for her. I think Chloe is all too willing to probably throw herself on for a sacrifice, but I don't know if that's what's going to help her. Um, But then again, I don't think she should just not have any kind of punishment. She really needs help, so maybe... Uh, releasing her into a mental institution for a little while at least might help her or supervise I don't know, maybe we can come up with some kind of creative punishment, but you guys tell me what you think is appropriate Um, I was really surprised and maybe I shouldn't be, that Anita comes to see Chelsea this week and she's really carrying a a, a torch here, Uh, she's ready to uh, convict Chloe she tells Chelsea that she should testify against Chloe at her hearing, I wonder. If, Ch- if Chelsea is going to testify at Chloe's hearing and if so what's she going to say? That could be good if that's going to come up next week I'm really excited to see that um, Anita's like I think she feels betrayed because Chloe lied to her in order to get the child and that sort of made Anita look pretty bad I mean shoot she just kind of let Chloe walk away with the baby but Chelsea is not going to I don't think say anything negative about her friend um, I don't think that Chelsea is in a place where she wants vengeance. She, in fact, said, you know, we owe her something. Adam killed her daughter, and we benefited with Connor's eyes. I'm not just going to go and throw her under the bus now. Uh, Besides, Chelsea is totally in a different headspace. She is convinced that Adam is still alive. It has been done so many times. Nobody, not dead. <laughs> Chelsea must be a soap watcher. She knows nobody not dead. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's clear that YNR is fishing around. I don't know if they're looking for fan reactions about how, you know, what will it be like if we bring Adam back? I mean, there's lots of rumors that they are inter that they are interviewing and auditioning tr- trying to get the right recast for Adam. I know some people are thinking maybe it'll be Michael Mooney. It will never be Michael Mooney. Um I don't think he will ever come back to YNR as much as I hate that. I mean, unless there's some kind of like huge redemption where Hunter King turns around and is like, "Nah, I was just kidding." I don't think Michael Mooney ever coming back. So the question is, do we want no Adam or do we want an Adam recast? I'm going to have to be open to a recast. Like if they give us a new Adam, I'm going to have to just see where it goes. I'm going to have no choice. <laughs> so I I don't know, but it is clear that they are headed in that direction. Uh, we saw this week a scene. I mean, aside from the fact that Chelsea keeps getting these phone calls from like unknown callers and it's just static. Uh, we saw a scene of a hand in a hospital room that's obviously Adam. So I'm assuming it's a hospital room. He seemed to be on some kind of cot, uh, covered in blankets, maybe not feeling... Well. It has to be some kind of hospital because we saw, um, like we looked up, He, we saw from Adam's perspective, he looks up, he sees some fluorescent lights, um, and a figure comes in the door, all dressed in black and wearing blue... Hospital rubber or latex gloves. So it makes me think that it's a hospital. But I also thought maybe it's some kind of um, church or like convent or something. Like maybe Adam's got um, amnesia or something. He stumbled around. He was sick. He obviously was hurt. And so maybe somebody found him, took him to a a church. I don't know why they wouldn't take him to a hospital. I'm not sure. If he was hurt, why wouldn't he be in a hospital? Because hospital people don't just wear all black. So I'm not entirely sure, but Chelsea just has this feeling. Her husband is still alive. She calls Billy, of all people, to try to talk, you know understand what happened the last night that he was with Adam. What did Adam do? What did Adam say? Uh, he told Chelsea that Adam said, you know, I'm, I'll, I will see Chelsea and Connor again. And I guess I'm thinking back upon him saying that. I'm wondering if Adam could have faked his own death. I don't know. I don't know. It's just all, it's all such a big question mark. The one thing that Billy did tell Chelsea that that stuck with her was, I mean, even Billy had to admit that Adam could have survived the car wreck. He didn't see the body and there is certainly a possibility that he could have survived it. And that just, I think that just kept, Chelsea hanging on. She's more convinced than ever. She calls Victor and asks him to investigate. Like, hey, you were able to find out that Adam was the one that hit Delia before even the police were. So I believe he's still alive. And I, well, there's no body. There's no remains whatsoever. Bring me the body or find my husband. And in fact, she blackmails him into doing it. She's like, look, if you don't do this, you're not going to see your grandson. I'm the one that has control over that. Waha! I kind of liked that reverse blackmail. It's like, yeah, you go, Chelsea. Blackmail him. (laughs) Uh, But Victor, it's like, Yeah, he's so he's just able to talk her down. He's able to like say, you know, I miss my son more than anyone, more than I'm even letting on, and there's just no way that he could have survived. He's dead. We need to accept it. And Chelsea seems to accept that, and he feel like she hit a brick brick wall again. Silvana had mentioned on her voicemail, and I believe this is true. Why is Chelsea leaning on Victor when she could be leaning on Jack? It seems like everything Adam did prior to his death was telling Chelsea, stay away from Victor, lean on Jack. Adam went to great pains to make sure that Jack was the godfather so that Victor could have nothing to do with his family. So Chelsea, if you are missing your husband, loving your husband, why are you not taking that cue uh, from what he would want you to do? I don't know. Later at the athletic club, um, she's sitting there and she... Sharon comes up to her and I thought well that's interesting Um, Sharon kind of tried to befriend her said something to Chelsea like are you still thinking that Adam is alive and Chelsea lashes back out at her I don't think he's alive I know he's alive Adam is still alive and here Sharon is like ooh okay I mean here Sharon thinks she's seeing Cassie so and that Chelsea's seeing Adam so I'm surprised Sharon didn't suggest that Chelsea get on some medication (laughs) Oh boy, I think they'll they're both gonna be surprised when Adam shows back in town, shows back up in town with a whole new face and a whole new body. and he's a whole new guy. <laughs> Maybe he's gonna have to have had reconstructive surgery after the crash. so that's why he looks like a different guy. <laughs> okay. Well, after uh, Noah ended up quitting his job at Newman, Victor had a change of heart. And he calls Chelsea and says he's decided to have his investigators look into the possibility that Adam might still be alive. I mean, I I think that maybe, or I don't know, I guess there's a couple different ways to interpret it. But I wonder if having felt the disapproval of Noah, uh, felt the judgment from Noah, made Victor miss his son and decide to take The leap of faith that maybe his son is still alive. After all, ironically, Adam is the one son, one child of his who most understood him. Or, (laughs) there's also the possibility that something more sinister is going on, and I have to give major props to Anna, who called into my voicemail last week and kind of rocked my world with a theory that a figure that came into Adam's room dressed in all black with the hospital gloves... Is there any chance that could have been Victor? Is there any chance that Victor helped Adam fake his own death? Or that Victor somehow discovered Adam and decided to keep him stashed away for a while? Because there just was going back and re-watching it after with that in mind, you see the hand, Adam's hand on the hospital bed, as the door kind of opens, the hand reaches up. And then as the figure, the figure in black, enters the room, the hand kind of collapses back down. And I don't know if that's just like, oh, I'm weak, or if it was, somebody here to help me? Oh, wait, Dad, it's you. Jill is continuing her research at the mansion all alone while with Esther crying and cleaning in the background. She's still thinking about Delia. She picks up a picture of her daughter and granddaughter and she Esther's had a lot of loss this year and so she's very upset. Jill breaks away from her research into who this Rachel Berenson may be and she comforts Esther for a moment. Um dis, you know despite feeling like she has a, a mission a, a renewed mission from Catherine and I guess I did watch that scene, and I felt I felt a little bit more connected to, to Esther, I suppose, um, knowing what she's gone through. It's just, oh gosh, I think Jill and Esther do have such an interesting relationship, and I don't think I would care about it as much if it weren't for knowing that it is such a piece of YNR archaeology. I mean, when you go digging underneath, the, in, into YNR on any level, you have to unearth Jill, and you have to unearth Esther. So uh, Jill does decide to bring Esther in on the search a little bit, like, hey, I'll help her take her mind off of her grief, and I can get her help. Esther knows the mansion, knows Catherine better than anyone. Maybe she can help me. And Esther, I think, is so glad just to be involved in Jill's life. Glad to... Help her get rid of Colin. Esther's really ragging on Colin. Like, why would you be with him in the first place? He's no good. He doesn't love you. And she's over there, for, like, feverishly dusting, like, taking her feather duster and, like, whacking it against a chair, talking about Colin, like, probably kicking up centuries old dust. <laughs> that Esther cares about Jill despite their history regardless of how totally rude Jill is to her all the time and I think vice versa too there's a I was watching this week though and I just kept thinking I would love to see an empowerment Story with Esther. I would really be open to that. Like she's forever banished to be camp in her maid uniform. It, she's never gonna be taken seriously like that. It's, it's, it's not a character that you can take seriously. I would love to see Esther coming out of her shell and getting her own empowerment storyline that doesn't end up with her just marrying a con artist for her money. We've already been and there and done that. I just I think that the This woman needs to ceremoniously burn... The maid's uniform and start living like Catherine would have wanted her to. When Remember when Catherine, uh, w- there was the reading of Catherine's will and everyone was having these flash scenes of how, of like what they would be like if they inherited the fortune and Esther's sitting there like in her fur coat and jewels and maybe a crown or something? Like, I want that to happen. I want Esther to be the co lady of the manor. I, I, that's the only way that you could really, really bring me into her world. I mean, she owns half the place now. She can hire a maid for herself. (laughs) Catherine left her a very generous stipend. She does not have to continue to clean her own house. Okay, okay, side-tracking. <laughs> um, Jill is talking to Esther about Catherine's father's World War II journals. He was a spy in World War II, they figured out. And uh, Jill is needing Esther's help to find out what who is this Rachel Berenson. Um, they have that photo. Uh, I didn't notice last week, but there's a piece missing out of the photo, and Esther is able to like magically find the missing piece, but Colin comes in and catches them both. They're of course trying to scramble and, and uh, <laughs> just keep everything away from Colin, but he wants to be involved in the goods too. They are able to find out um, that, I think the corner, oh, by the way, I think the corner of the piece said London on it, so, uh, whoever Rachel is, she's in London, but they were, they were able to piece together that Catherine's father, Shep, I never, I don't remember ever hearing about, but then again, maybe if you started watching originally, maybe she talked more about her backstory toward the beginning of, uh, the, the Our series, but, um, apparently Shep, was romantically involved with this Rachel Berenson person. Uh, They deduced from his journals that he was a spy in World War II, and she was somehow a translator or uh, an information gatherer, and they developed a relationship. Apparently, they were uh, romantically involved, and um, I think, well, that's really interesting. I kind of, okay, I like where this is going on a couple of levels. Level number one, I like Jill and Colin on this journey together. I'm enjoying the evolution of their relationship far more than I thought I would, far more than I did the first time around. So I just think it's kind of cute. Like they're trying to figure out this mystery together, going over all of the possible scenarios. And I, there was this moment where Colin tells Jill Look, you know, I love you. I loved you. I you know, she's wary of him. She doesn't believe anything that comes out of his mouth even though she secretly wants to. But he says, you know, I I lied to you, yes, but not about loving you. I loved you. I still do love you. Um and Jill is projecting everything she feels about Colin Onto this mystery of who was you know, Catherine's father, who was the Rachel Baronson, Jill is convinced that Catherine's father was a philanderer. I mean, based on these journals saying that he, um, you know, was really uh, having, I don't know, whatever, romantically involved with this Rachel, uh, and he had a wife and a daughter at home, presumably Catherine and her mother at home while he was off having this affair. Uh, And the, the affair is not questioned, but I guess the nature of it is because as Jill's Having painting this picture of Catherine's father being a philanderer, Colin is saying, No, I think he actually really loved her. And, or otherwise, why would he have kept her photo? So they're both sort of projecting onto this situation. And it just becomes this recreation of the relationship of Jill and Colin via these characters of Rachel and Catherine's father. And like the whole week, anytime we were at the mansion, there was this jazzy music playing and all of a sudden we become transported into a visualization like a reenactment of what must have happened between Shep and Rachel and all of a sudden we're back in World War II there's a sepia tone over the whole thing and it's like Casablanca uh, it's this relationship of kind of love and hate and wanting and and, and desire and, um, and but not being able to follow through and uh, other prior and um, engagements and it's like the Jill version and then there's the Colin version like we got two alternate scenes there's the Jill's version where there's you know together working together and all of a sudden you know they, they come in and they get broken up and arrested and uh, he makes off like he runs off and escapes unscathed leaving her there alone and abandoned which is totally how Jill felt at the end of that relationship but then you have Colin's alternate version where he ends up taking the fall for you know, Stealing all of the information or for whatever they have been doing. And I, it's just the whole thing. It was cute, but it was foreplay. <laughs> the whole thing was just foreplay. And at the end of the uh, fantasy scene, scenes, Jill and Colin share a kiss. It was a very passionate kiss. It was a very mutual kiss. And Jill freaks out, finds herself relaxing into this moment, freaks out, pulls away, smacks Colin, and runs away from him, you know, and knows like, oh, well, I can't. Don't you ever do that again. No, we're, we're not going to ever be anything. <laughs> Meanwhile, Colin is in the foreground with that smirk on his face. He knows he's got her exactly where he wants her. Okay, my podcast friends, I think that'll do it for me for this week. I hope you guys had a good week and that you enjoyed the show. Go to yrchat.com, by the way. Vote in that poll about Chloe because I am very curious to know where you guys stand on that. I think it's a good question. It's heart-wrenching. It's like, ugh. I'm pulled and torn in different directions. And I want to know, uh, I want to put my finger on the pulse, what you guys are thinking too. So um, you can also feedback to me via voicemail if you'd like. My voicemail telephone number is 309-588-4569. You can also leave a voicemail directly through the website at yrchat.com. Um, let's see, you can also uh, send me an email to ally at yrchat.com. That's A-L-I at YRChat.com. I've been doing a really bad job of checking my messages lately I'm swamped I mean I honestly guys like I'm really busy with work it's been hard to kind of juggle everything this week so I've been just really bad at letting things fall by the wayside it's um, gosh it's taking everything in me just to make sure I get the podcast out and I do my way in our chat and all the extras so I, I do apologize um, I do still ha- I do receive my emails absolutely I am going to be going through them, I promise. Please feel free to contact me. Um, either way, I absolutely appreciate it. I appreciate that you guys are listening. Um, thank you so much. Uh, feel free to go to iTunes if you want to leave a review. Um, any way you guys would like to feedback, I, I really do appreciate it. I love you, and I will see you next week. Okay, bye!